Hi, welcome to the Downtown Den podcast, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Joanne Rowley. Joanne, of course, a long-time friend of Downtown in Business, the Chief Executive of Manchester City Council. Hi, Joanne. Hello, good to be here. Yeah, great to see you, as always. And um, we're going to have a chat today about your career, how you ended up leading uh, the capital of the North, um, <laughs> and the sort of lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of your career journey and tips and tricks in terms of what you think makes good leader and perhaps some things that you've seen that have not been uh, necessarily as impressive as they all do have been. I'll leave it as that. So, Joanne, where did it all start for you? Um, so it all started with me as a 16-year-old in Shardend. And uh, for those who don't know, Shardend's still one of the most deprived parts of Birmingham. And um, I come from a large, loving, wonderful family, but we were poor. We were very poor. So um, although I did well at school and I enjoyed school and school wanted me to stay on and do A-levels and maybe go on to university, uh, that just that just didn't fit with me at all. I had there's nobody from my whole family have ever gone to university, so I didn't even understand what 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 that entailed. And really, uh, I wanted some money. I was tired of being poor and having hand me down clothes, and so I just wanted a job really. And um, I uh, got uh, I went for an apprentice at Birmingham City Council. So and they took me on. And so my career started with Birmingham City Council giving me a job as a 16 year old. Wow. And what was that role? So my first job was in the housing department and um, I was told that I was on the sort of housing repairs reception desk and my job was to sit down sit there and people would come in and tell me what was wrong with their houses and I would make a note of what they said and then that would get passed on to the relevant tradespeople. That was the training. So I was there I was on my first day with my new ID badge. And the doors opened and about 200 people came in screaming at me and shouting at me about housing repairs and the rest. And so I kind of I guess that was my first foray into local government, which was, I guess, you're there to help people. That was the the overriding thing. Sit here, help people, which is what I tried to do, including, I think, one of the early customers throwing a dead rat at me and saying, oh. I've got rats in the house. So I just don't know. I think that was just that was my earliest memory of work. But <laughs> you know, it was an apprenticeship and it was structured training and development and you moved around and um yeah, it was great. And uh, you know, I've always said I owe Birmingham City Council and public sector at large uh, everything because they they changed the life of a 16-year-old girl from Shard End. So baptism of fire, I'm very much on the cold face of customer service. Yeah. Um, and obviously it was something that you've enjoyed and no doubt thrived in because you've stayed in local government. What was next after that job in uh, so, Birmingham? So Birmingham, I stayed in Birmingham for a while. Um, but then and the, the thing about being an apprentice was you did have your structured training. And so I could I went on and did a professional qualification while I was in Birmingham. So I'm professionally qualified in housing and di- diplomas in management and the rest. Um, but then I left yeah, local government, actually. And um, for, I went and did a spell working with Shelter um, on uh, with Louise Casey in housing and then I was very involved in homelessness at the time and um, I sort of through that work decided I'd had enough of being on the dealing with people with, you know, the issues of homelessness and actually the answer to homelessness was build more houses. So why didn't I go into a job that was about building more houses rather than being on the receiving end? So I worked for housing associations. I worked for two um, registered providers and did housing development. So started to build houses. And then I went back into Birmingham Council. Birmingham Council took me back in after I'd had about three or four years out um, to go in as a senior director. And I think that was the first... After all that experience, that was the first time I'd got into sort of senior, a kind of leadership position where actually I was going to be making the change by um, running a big directorate. 
And that was so that was a, a lot of my career spent in Birmingham. And then and then I started to apply for jobs. So I ended up moving from Birmingham to Kirklees and then I was director of housing in Kirklees. And then from Kirklees, I went to Sheffield, where I was deputy chief executive with Lord Kerslake in Sheffield, which clearly running a much broader range of services than just housing. And then chief executive Wakefield. And then Chief Executive Manchester. <laughs> so uh, quite a variety of different cities, different towns that you've obviously had an influence over. You've been involved in. But it sounds, Joanne, as though you know the shelter experience and also obviously your own background and upbringing has given you an ambition to make a difference and to you know roll your sleeves up, get involved, uh, and get to a position where you can start making decisions that genuinely impact on people's lives. Would that be a fair assessment of your ambition? Yes, yes. I think those formative stages of my career very much, I'm I'm so glad I did the career I did, uh, the, the route path I did, because I think that learning what it's like on the front line to deliver services, combined with always having that um, that value-driven approach to making a difference to people's lives because of my own life experience, I think that's what makes me the leader I am today. That's what makes me the person I am and the style that I have. Um, and the two are entwined, aren't they? Your mm-hmm. leadership and your management style has to be, I think, connected to the values you hold as an individual and those and being authentic and genuine and real to live in those values. So I'm very clear what drives me. Yeah, it's certainly informed, isn't it, by your own experiences, of course. But I guess the other thing it's informed by is the people around you um, and also your own attitude. And it interests me that we've had a number of people on this series of leaders who have not necessarily had what you would describe as a typical academic background. They've got a degree in the University of Life, if uh, if you will. And... um, Sounds to me as though that was very much the way you've entered the workforce and then you've developed. Presumably, you said that you did a qualification in housing. Were there then occasions through your career path where you've gone off and added to those qualifications, those formal qualifications? Yeah, I, I put myself through. I've always done formal learning alongside career progression I think as a leader you have to have both don't you there's a there's a balance between expertise specialism which gets less and less as you go further up but actually you've got to be open to learning personal development's key to me but yeah I did um, Birmingham University I did a master's so I have a master's as well as a professional qualification so yes I've always done formal learning and formal personal development alongside career progression. And I think you do have to do both. Now, we talk a lot about inclusion in terms of uh, boards and in terms of local authorities and leadership positions and so on. We very often talk about that in the context of gender, ethnicity. Um, I look across an awful lot of the meetings that I'm in, and I think, there's not a lot of people sat around the table who look like me. And I don't mean that in terms of, I know I'm a handsome bugger, Joanne, but I'm not that big-headed yet. Um, you know, I I was working-class lad. I never went to university. I've never been able to take time out to go and do a degree. Um, it's never phased me. It's not something that I've ever had an issue with. Um, as you know, I'm relatively confident sort of guy. Um, but I do look across, as I say, and fit and wonder where the working class, um, yeah. for want of a better phrase, people are sat around some of those tables that you and I have conversations yeah. around often. Yeah. Yes. I, so my qualifications I did at nights through my own pay in night yeah. school. I never yeah, yeah, yeah. took time out to be at university and had that whole university and experience. That's tough, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's tough. tough. It was, I, I can remember writing my thesis on for my master's yeah missing out on loads of good activities going on because I was coming home from work and not able to go out but anyway um I wanted to do it so it's fine but go to your point yeah I there are times when I have that 
little voice, that imposter syndrome, when you can be, I find myself being intimidated. I have to, because of the company I'm with and I feel like I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. I, 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 I still get that. You know, I still get that. And I still have to say quietly to myself, look, can I just remind you who you are, Joanne, and what you've achieved? Because I'm still overwhelmed and impressed. And as I say, don't kind of don't always feel I fit in the some of the meetings that I'm in. Yeah. And I think that is just the working class upbringing yeah, I've had. I, in I, there. I, I think definitely, you know, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, there's different challenges, isn't there, for people from different backgrounds, for women. I get that. But I also think that there is yeah. an issue around, yeah. you know, I, I look across, for example, Parliament, and um, Wes Streeting has just published a, a book, and Wes's background very much working class lad, grew up in um, the sort of harder parts of, of London. And, you know, he says, you know, he was very fortunate, he's very bright, managed to get himself a scholarship, went off to university. But even he says, you know, he suffers from that imposter syndrome yeah. because of that working class background. So. Be- the times I've been the only woman in the room and the only woman who's come from a working class background is in the vast majority of my career, I would say, was that 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 experience. And um, you have to dig deep, don't you, to be able to compete and be credible um, in that in that setting when it's you. And um, that's when I say what you dig deep into is your values. You dig deep into what I stand for, what I won't stand for, uh, what I know and why I know it. Have you ever felt as though anybody's tried to take advantage of that situation? Um, I don't maybe think advantage. I think the, the overwhelming kind of feeling I've always had is maybe being disregarded or underestimated in settings. Oh, oh, oh. That's pretty dangerous. Well, yeah, it is. It is. But that's you. You can find yourself when you're you're sat there and people sort of, you know, think you're there to make the tea. Or I mean, I still get it. I still get people say. I still get men invariably say to me things like, um, uh, "Where can I get a glass of water?" When I've just arrived at a meeting, and I still think, well. Why would I know that any more than you'd know that? But I, I just, so it still happens. So, yeah, my overriding view is not I don't feel anybody's ever taken advantage of it. But I do think people um, have underestimated me. I'm sure that that is the case, but equally knowing you as well as I do, I'm sure you've used that to your advantage. So, <laughs> um, listen, you mentioned uh, a name there in passing, Lord Kerslake, who I know you had great regard for, yeah. uh, and I'm sure had uh, a big influence in terms of uh, your career and your your attitude, and, and you will have learned so off from him, I'm sure. Um Alongside him, who are the other sort of individuals that you look back at and you think, yeah, you know, I, I took an awful lot from those people? So, um, I, as I said, I think as a leader, you've you've always got to be open to learning, haven't you? You've mm. always got to be able to um, encourage feedback, you know, um, and take tough feedback. I don't I don't. I don't need my ego stroking. I need to know where I'm not doing well. Um, and therefore, I'll always take snippets of experience from other people because I think, and it can be anybody, can't it? Sometimes I think, wow, they handled that situation really well. I just want to reflect on how they did that compared to how I might have reacted to that. Um, but I think there are some people who have always mentored and guided and supported me that, that do stand out. I mean, Sir Bob was a, a friend and it's a tragic loss. Um, but my my takeaway from Bob was um, he, he was very calm. So I think he had a he had a calming influence on me when he he appointed me. He he sort of really helped um, kind of sharpen my intuition to be about strategic and to think strategically and not kind of in the weeds of doing everything and having to know everything and really broaden me and you know don't rush to act, Joanne. You know there there is a value in 
thinking and strategically planning and working things through. These are words that you learn, but he really helped me get that into practice. So I take that from him, calmness, thinking it through, don't always react. Um, Sir Richard was another great leader. I had the pleasure of working with Sir Richard. I mean, Richard, you know, tough job in Manchester. Yeah, Sir Richard Lees, yeah. You know, Richard again, you know, he could deliver tough messages in a way that um, you, you felt he was helping you. <laughs> yeah. That's a skill, yeah. That's a skill. It might have <laughs> took me a day or two to realise it, but it was you know, but the, 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 that leadership, again, that clarity, that focus, that ability to kind of really prioritise uh, and to sharpen skill sets was great. But there are other people as well. There, there, there are people in my team that I think that's a really good way of handling. I, I'm, I don't kind of have a whole, you know, one or three, two or three people. I, I genuinely, every setting I'm in, I'm listening and learning from others around that room and thinking about um, how, how, how that was a great skill or I need to go and learn more about that. So, but, but, there's loads of people who are in positions of leadership, aren't they? I mean, I'm I'm equally impressed by many, many women that I come across who have children and raise families and children, as well as pe- keeping top jobs down. And you know, their their their, their skill sets are, are, are impressive as well. So, um, yeah. And I guess my fundamental one would be I owe it all to my mom. Really, the what's the best role model I could ever have in my life was my mom who just encouraged me from an early age to read and learn but more importantly you know she taught me to dream she taught me to use my imagination to develop my intuition to go with my gut to trust myself you know great inspirational women everywhere you look and that upbringing is so important, isn't it? Because I think that, you know, you and I have talked about this in terms of that inclusivity agenda that I know you are hugely committed to. Um, it is about giving kids aspiration and ambition, isn't it? And too many of our young people don't necessarily have that. And, uh, you know, it's really great. Uh, uh, this came home to me when I came to Manchester. So obviously Birmingham's an incredibly diverse city. So equality, uh, always been interested in economic growth, but on the basis of it benefiting the people, not 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 the buildings as such. It was what happened in the buildings and the impact they'd have. So always had equality and addressing inequality um, in my DNA from Chardin, from Birmingham. But you know, what came home to me was the significance when I came to Manchester of being the first woman to be the chief executive of Manchester in this very powerful city with huge female role models, just how genuine that that ability to use your skill set as a woman to make a difference is, is very, very real. And it, it's so great now working with uh, Bev, um, Bev, the new leader. And, uh, you know, Bev's got a similar journey in terms of working class woman. You know, she's now the leader of Manchester City Council. It's just great to be instantly on the same wavelength about addressing equality and inequality and putting that at the heart of everything we do. That's great. And just looking at your executive team, I wonder whether, because a lot of females in there, you know, I'm thinking of Becca Heron, yeah. uh, who, who, who we deal a lot with, and there's others as well who yeah. we wouldn't necessarily engage with as a business organisation. Do you think it's getting easier for females to make progress within local governments and indeed in the private sector from what you see? Um. I think in Manchester, the culture is a very supportive culture, a very, um, as I've said, with Bev Craig, Becca Heron, me, you know, many women in business, many women in the voluntary sector. You know, there's an instant rapport and great network of top, of, of really top quality women that you can tap into, engage with, work with in the organisation, but outside of the organisation. It's just in the DNA of Manchester. So I feel incredibly privileged, incredibly privileged to be the chief executive of Manchester City Council. 
through this role, I also work nationally. And I'd like to tell you, Frank, that um, at my age, I've smashed glass ceilings and made life much better. And you've had Deborah Cadman do leadership. And, you know, Deborah's a black woman working in this setting, same as me. Deborah and I have known each other for years. And I think if we were both honest, we'd say, yes, there is more representation of women in leadership in local government, which is good. Um, uh, yes, there is a recognition of the skill set and perhaps the cultures that we create by, by virtue of women's approach uh, is, has probably had an impact on what's valued as a style of leadership in local government, that, you know, that more inclusive growth, that galvanising of um, people to come together, that team building, that addressing equality than the kind of top-down dictatorial type of leaderships of old. Um, but as it got easier, well, I'd have to say no, because it's tough out there. And, you know, we still get women leaders, I think, politically, particularly, get far more abuse on social media than yeah. other leaders. Yeah. I think, you know, there is still a lot to be done about how um, women leaders are uh, respected and treated equally still. There is still a misogyny out there. It's probably some of the worst misogyny going on than has been for quite a while, I think, actually. We're still judged on how we look as opposed to what we've done. I think we're still judged on how we speak as opposed to what we've done. Um, so, I'd, yeah, I think it's progress has been made and the things that we've made progress on are all great, but it, the job is not done. The job is not done. Yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. So we're going we're to go to a break in a second, but I want to uh, stick with this point about... Um, People's attitude, I suppose, is uh, is where I'm going with this one, and and not in a in a horrible way, in a sense, because I just think this is a bit funny. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you, you, you took over from Manche Manchester from Sir Howard Bernstein, who is an absolute legend, right? He was in the job yeah. from you know, I think he was, I think he was born in the town hall and then did every job from a baby and then ended up as chief <laughs> executive. And um, you know, people compared the succession of from Howard to whoever, um, as from Sir Alex Ferguson to Sadly, in his <laughs> instance, it was David Moyes who didn't succeed. Um, and I just wonder how tough, you know, that was. I'm, I'm sort of smiling about it now because we can, because you've done a great job. You've delivered some fantastic things in your own right at Manchester. Um, but I do remember a lot of people saying to me, and this was before you were appointed, by the way, this was like almost anyone that was going to come into that job. Oh, well, it's never going to be the same now, you know, because Howard was had such an imprint on the city for such a long period of time. Um, and, yeah, I just wonder how you reflect on that, because it must have been a hell of a challenge, Joanne. Um. Um, yeah, I think I think I've said before, I think I underestimated that. So I was a, I was an experienced chief executive already. I've done nine years at Wakefield and um, I underestimated that that counted for absolutely less than zero when I arrived. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it was who is this woman? So having a year of being absolutely judged uh, everywhere, internally, externally. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd underestimated that the, the that I, I I wasn't expecting it, and it was you know it was a bit brutal on occasions. To be honest, I, you know there was some tough tough things I'd been brought in to make, you know, well, the council, Sir Richard and the council were very clear about the priorities they wanted the, me to do as a new chief executive. And um, I think the toughest thing for me was that um, by virtue of one of those priorities being get the basic services right, children's services were failing, rough sleeping, street cleaning, you know, get those basic services right. By virtue of that being a priority, somehow that got narrowed into Joanne wouldn't be doing economic growth. Well, it was never that I was never going to not do economic growth and deliver housing, in, increase housing delivery, take over major projects like the factory and the town hall, um, uh, 
it was just that we were really clear that the council was really clear that the economic growth agenda needed to continue. I needed to ensure that deals were done with FEC for 15,000 new homes at Victoria North and, you know, delivery, that that was going to happen. But we also wanted to put more effort into ensuring Mancunians benefited from that growth. So I was leading skills for Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester. Absolutely passion of mine, absolutely important. And we needed to get children the best start in life. So I needed good children's services. I needed schools to be top performing. I needed those pathways. And I one of the things that was tough that I tough for me in that first year was that somehow that narrative got lost. And maybe I could have done better looking back um, about how I landed myself in the city. But I started to get played back to me that Joanne wasn't doing economic growth or Joanne wasn't interested in the economy and I was interested in services. Well, I wasn't that that wasn't the case, but you know, I think that was part of that judgment. Oh, Howard did that. She's not doing that. She's doing the softer stuff. Yeah. Like he wasn't the softer stuff, by the way. Uh, and then of course. You know, I had the, the bomb, didn't I, that sort of, yeah. I think, was that, you know, maybe the chance where people kind of acknowledged I had a leadership uh, role in my own right, actually, and was capable of leading through the toughest of times. Well, as I say, it's, uh, I think it was about two years ago now you got uh, stopped being referred to as the new chief executive of <laughs> Manchester. So you've yeah. definitely overcome those challenges. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, I want to talk about that uh, terrible tragedy uh, and the way you and the city uh handled that situation and then i want to talk about you know the culture that you try to embed into the organizations that you lead so stay with us we're in the downtown then with joanne roney the chief executive of manchester city council we'll be back in a moment Hi, this is Frank McKenna, just to tell you about the fantastic events programme that we have for your pleasure across the autumn programme. Uh, we have Chris Oglesby doing an event for us in Birmingham. He, of course, is the head honcho of Bruntwood. We've got the shadow business secretary, Johnny Reynolds, joining us for an event in Manchester, we have a round table with Tom Stannard, who's the Chief Executive of Salford Council. Uh, we've also got um, Tim Nunes, who is from um, Government Department of International Trade. We've got a Changemakers Live Summit in Birmingham in October. We've got events in and around the Labour Party conference. And we've got a In Conversation event with Angela Barnacle, who's Head of Regeneration at Leeds City Council. In addition to that, we've got events with regional mayors Andy Street and Steve Rotherham. We've also got the Chief Executive of Liverpool City Council, Andrew Lewis, join us for a leaders lunch, and Deborah Capman, Chief Executive of Birmingham City Council as well. Loads of other people who are coming and joining us for our events programme, loads of other things happening, including the launch of our brand new social networking brand downtown unplugged if you go to our website all the w's downtown in business.com you will see all of the events that we have available for you to attend of course it's accessible to members only so if you're not a member of downtown in business yet why not go to that website address as i say all the w's downtown in business.com click on join and you will get all the details of how you can become part of the fastest growing business network in the UK. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with the Chief Executive of Manchester City Council, Joanne Roney, who's joined us in the downtown den today. Joanne, we've talked about your sort of career to date and then that initial baptism of fire when you came into the city. And of course, that included not just the challenge of taking over from Sir Howard Bernstein, which was always going to be tough for whoever came into the job, but then that awful tragedy of the bomb at the arena. And, you know, Know, again from the outside looking in um manchester as we i think 
anyone knows the city, anticipated, expected, came together, fabulous sort of community mm -hmm. spirit. But nonetheless, that must have been, again, another tough gig to come into. You know, you, how long had you been in the job at that point? About five weeks, I think. Five weeks. And yeah. uh, and I think Andy Byrne was sort of similarly new, yeah. wasn't he? So the, yeah. so the two of you yeah. had that massive issue and crisis to deal with. What what was that like? What, what are your reflections? So just, I've time? said five weeks, but it was probably a bit longer, wasn't it? It's probably, yeah, it's probably my second month, wasn't it, thinking about it? Yeah. Um, anyway, I can't remember exactly when. It was soon. But, um, yes, what was it like? Well, I mean, it will... It, it had a profound effect on me and always will have. I'll never forget uh, those days, those, 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 um, well, those days, the, the incident, but also the follow up. And I think um, obviously there was the immediate um, response that I was involved in from, from the very start, you know, the, the kind of gold command, the immediate arrangements that you're there for. But I think then you move into organizing the, the vigil, the you remember it was a general election. We were in the general election period, so we had all yeah, of the yeah. major parties coming down. Um, I, I think the I think for me, you do what you have to do on the night, and we were really clear that um, really clear with my team who were great with Richard. We were really clear um, we would do whatever it took. There was we would do whatever it took, and I remember. Um, we we knew there were loads of people, there were thousands of children and parents trying to find them. And um, I remember opening up the Etihad, ringing Man City and opening up the Etihad and having that as a place for people to arrive to and, you know, my, deploying my staff there in the middle of the night to get down there. And I went down there and nowhere in your strategic resilience plan does it say take bananas and phone chargers but actually what we needed was bananas and phone chargers because people were hungry and needed to keep the phones on charge and all that. So we were down doing all of that. But so you do what you need to do on the night to respond as 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 we should as we should have done. And you know, the look, there were lessons to be learned in terms of the response, the reviews and the reports are all there, then the inquiry's taken place. Um I am very proud that in those inquiries, the role of the city council was commended on the night and that we did what we needed to do. And I think we, my staff were outstanding that night. But I think the other bit that's profound for me is the way the city came together. And we talk about it in Manchester, don't we, about us being a, a very strong partnership, about the pride and the passion for the place, how we work across sectors. But, oh, my, did I see that? Did I see that in those 24 hours and, and the subsequent days where um, the offers of support came in, the way we uh, put that whole vigil together, we put the concert on. Um, I, I was involved, of course, all the way through with the charity, we we raised twenty seven million pounds. Um, I was the custodian of that charity. I'm the chair of that charity still. Um, I've worked with the families, well, from those that night through to present day, um, right up to opening the um, the uh, the memorial that we've the Glade of Light memorial that we opened last year with. Um, uh, the Prince and Princess of Wales. Oh, I should say the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Now, now, what are they? Now, so I'm getting them all confused. Oh my God, you'll have to edit that out, Frank. Kate <laughs> <laughs> and William, I was going to describe them as because that's what we were talking to them about on the day. I'm going to get my royals confused. Um, right up to the opening of that event, and um, I just saw the best of this city. Without a doubt, the best of this city. And I just saw the words. We have the words. We have our values to be proud and passionate about Manchester. Um, and the the whole experience of how my staff responded all the way through that, that's that's more than a value written on a, a, a wall, isn't it? That That's in, in the heart of the workforce. And I saw that. Um, and it will stay with me forever. Um, and of course, Manchester had had been through this before, hadn't they, with the IRA bomb? And yeah. um, and you know, I think that is Manchester, isn't it? You, you what 
And then, of course, we've had the COVID pandemic as well. So all I know about this city is we don't just talk about working together and coming together and being proud and passionate. Whatever hits this city, that Mancunian spirit is just there and it's just evident and you feel it and it lifts you and it's in your heart. There is a great resilience about the place, but I think, um, you know, in the aftermath of, of that bomb, um, when you came into the city, uh, you could feel, I think, two things. It was a bit weird, really, because there was clearly a sadness to what happened because, you know, some of those poor people in terms of those who passed, obviously, but also those who suffered very serious injuries and, and will have to live with that forever. Um but then almost immediately, you know, this, I say resilience, I suppose, but a determination of, well, fuck you. You know, you're not going to stop us from getting on and from continuing to be the great city that we are. And that was very evident in every sort of event that you went to, even the community coming together, yep. that concert, as you say, you know, that, that there was clearly a message of, yeah, yeah, of course, we mourn for what's happened to those poor people that have been affected yeah, by this, but you are not going to stop we, our city. We, from, we, from we were very clear. No, we were very clear. This appalling act of terrorism and this awful, awful tragedy was not going to define Manchester. And I remember Sir Richard making the decision to go ahead with the run, with the yeah. Manchester run, um, which was the weekend after. You know, the big decision. We've just had a bomb gone off with the city centre and now we're going to bring thousands of people in but it was absolutely the right decision this city was going to continue it, it's you say frank we will respectfully mourn and put at the forefront of our thinking all of those who were affected and we will do that every year and we will never forget and that's the promise we've made but it was not going to define this city and that resilience is writ large it's and i think I don't know, maybe that was the point for me where I I knew I'd made the right career choice. I, I Tough as it was, devastating personally and professionally, that resilience, that seeing that resilience, that just resonated with me so much. I just, I just would never have gone anywhere else. Yeah, and listen, it is an incredible city and um, you obviously, like me, have been, you know, looking from the outside in for, for a long period of time. Um, so I was sort of in Lancashire as a politician then obviously we set the business up initially in Liverpool and people looked at Manchester with admiring guys, but also uh, with a degree of envy uh, and there was this thing of, well, how, the, how do they do it? You know, and, and obviously... You've applied for the job as chief executive, um, but you must have had the same sort of, I wonder how they do it. Um, and, you know, when you start working in the place, I don't think it's rocket science, Joanne, but nonetheless, there is something different. And, you know, there's that famous, famous quote from, from my old mate, Tony Wilson, mm. um, you know, we're mm. Manchester, we do things differently mm. here. And there is something, isn't there, a bit different about the city in terms of its approach and the way it does stuff? So so there's, there's a few things I'd say on that. So let's stand out for me. One is um, Manchester's ambition for place, not for individuals. Weirdly, this isn't a city full of egos, actually. No. <laughs> Strangely. Plenty <laughs> of them, but it's not. There's plenty of them, but it, <laughs> it's kind of, it's 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 more um, about the place, the passion for the place. And um, so ambition for place and ambition for people in the place. So I think that that's big in Manchester. So what, what attracted me to the job was the ambition, actually, the fact that Manchester was honest about its problems. So it wasn't just talking about it being great. It was also saying to me, look, we've got fantastic growth going on, John, but, uh, and this is still current, 34% of the children in Manchester live in poverty. Joanne, you've got to come here and help us turn the dial on this, you know, we want to make this growth benefit the people who live here. So I think that honesty about itself, the other, so ambition, clarity about what the challenges are, 
really clear shared strategy across all sectors for what type of a city we're trying to build here. And, I, you know, I know all of the jokes about whether Manchester's the second city or not. Actually, what what amazes these people again is we don't care about that. What we care about is being the the best city in the world category is rated by Time magazine. We're not arguing about who's the top city in the UK. I mean, actually, I genuinely want all cities in the UK to be successful. What we want about, what we care about is our global ranking and whether that attracts inward investment into the the city. So, So ambition, clarity of purpose, honesty about the challenges you face. But then the bit that stands out for me is, we do it ourselves, that we do it differently. That comes from we're a city of innovators. We're a city of um, encouraging innovation, doing things differently, trying it out, but not thinking somebody else is going to come and save Manchester. Manchester saves Manchester. Manchester grows Manchester. Um, And I think that's what led to all of the devolution blueprint that came about. It came about from the ideas coming from within Manchester for what kind of a place it wants to be and what kind of uh, actions we need to get us there, not hoping somebody else is going to do that thinking or that delivery for us. And I think the other thing I'd say, um, which formed part of your commentary there, Joanne, but I think it's important to emphasise is collaboration. Yeah. Um, because again, I, I, you know, I know that that local authorities and the private sector and other cities work really hard at actually collaborating, coming together, creating those public-private sector partnerships, which are more important now than ever mm. before with the scarcity of resource. But I don't see a city doing it as well as Manchester. And, you know, that's been the case now for a couple of decades, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I say we, I mean we, I mean across all sectors. I genuinely think uh, our Manchester strategy, which we'll be refreshing later this year, we refreshed it post-pandemic, but it's not the council strategy that we published. It was devised with thousands of people from the communities, but with businesses. And I think we're really comfortable about business leading certain aspects of the delivery of that strategy. You know, we know it it is the strategy for the place. Um, And we have really strong partnerships, but also extensive engagement. And my leadership, my my style very much, and certainly that how I kind of maybe survived my first year, was all about uh, listening, listening and taking time to understand. You, this, this is not a city that you walk into with a blueprint for how things should be done. This is a city that you build your networks, you do your listening, you talk to people, you take time to uh, understand what's really going on here, and then you jointly plan what the real actions are going to be. And I think um, it, 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 it's just how we do work. That partnership thinking, that cross-organisational conversations, that cross-organisational planning for what happens, that's just what we do. And and also, I think accessibility is important, isn't it? Um, And I'm not just saying that because you're on the phone. I'm on the conversation with you, Frank. But, you know, your accessibility to me, businesses, developers, house builders, investors, existing businesses want to relocate. That that access to senior leaders is there in the city because we want to do business. If you want to make a difference in Manchester, we want to do business with you and you can find us. Yeah. Now, I think, you know, again, I often get asked the question um, about Manchester. Wherever you go, people want to know what the magic uh, formula is as as far as Manchester is concerned. And people say, you know, uh, what if I wanted to go and and do business in Manchester? They always say the same thing. Well, that's, that's fine. But you've got to deliver because they can spot a bullshitter a mile <laughs> away. And, you know, again, people will sort of raise their eyebrows when I say how successful downtown and business has been in the city because of my accent, of course. But <laughs> Manx genuinely don't give a shit where you're from as long as you say, I'm going to do this and then deliver it. If you don't deliver yeah. it, you'll be run out of town. But as long as you're providing them with something that they think adds value to the city, adds value to the economy, adds value to their business, then they welcome you with open arms and support and encourage you. 
Yeah, I think we're, I think that honesty is important as well, isn't it? So we're clear about what our challenges are, but we're also clear about what our expectations are. So if you want to work in this city, um, you will be expected to uh, contribute to net zero ambition. You will be expected to have a social value contribution that directly benefits people. We would want you to be engaged in wider partnerships. So you, you know, you if you come here, you come here to be part of the fabric of the city. We're not. You know, we're not really uh, the sort of place you can hop into and make a quick bucket and hop out again, really. I mean, I'm sure some do, but I, I find it. We are different from other, I, I've said we don't compare ourselves to other cities. I think we are different from some cities in that, um, you know, people who are investing in the city are vested in the city yeah. as well as investing in the city. And that's why we don't have large numbers of empty buildings in the city centre, for example, you know, I mean, less than 1% of the buildings. Are, you know, this is not a place that, you know, um, hedge funds can come and buy large properties and leave them empty. That, that's just not the kind of deals we do here. Yeah. No, and, and listen, I, you know, I do get some stick occasionally uh, from Wax and Lyrical about Manchester, but you can't argue with the success of the place. And, you, you know, as much as Birmingham is improving, it's had a great Commonwealth yeah, Games, that's acted as a catalyst for more investment there. And I've seen fantastic growth in Birmingham since we set up there just seven, eight years ago. Liverpool, obviously, is trying to get back on track after a difficult period of time. But it's no good pretend. It's like trying to pretend Manchester City aren't the best football team in the country at the moment. You know, Manchester just is doing so fantastically well and just done so consistently. And I think the, the point you've raised there is important as we're talking about leadership. Um, that's where the continuity of leadership comes from and the consistency of leadership is so important in Manchester. And that's why you can replace chief executives, you can replace leaders, but actually the, the that delivery, that consistency, that ambition, it still stays. Um, and that's why we are successful because of that. We are successful because this is 20 years plus of hard work and the way we work being ingrained in the place. Um, and, and you know, other cities will catch up and that's great and they, they should do that, but uh, they'll do it in their way. It's not the blueprint of Manchester isn't for everywhere. Um, you know, we work at Greater Manchester Combined Authority in a different way to other combined authorities. We make it work for the way that we want the city to grow. So, you know, Andy is the mayor and he's what he brings through his leadership alongside my leadership. You know, it'll be different in different places, but it's through that that we get the integrated skills network that we're leading on, the shared ambition for our transport infrastructure. You know, it all comes from a shared endeavour about creating economically and uh, equally successful places across the whole of Greater Manchester that is rooted in addressing equality and inequality. And we have that despite we might fall out i'm not saying we don't always have arguments we've got to prioritize what gets done where there's always a degree of argument in that never fundamentally changes what we stand for and what we're here to do there and i think that is that consistency is also one of the success factors for for, for manchester absolutely i think that's a great assessment of the city actually so let me finish on this so um your personal sort of values and and how you manage and, and the culture that you embed in the organizations that you run what are the sort of things that you want to bring to those organizations what are the sort of things that sort of non-negotiables for you as well yeah so um so well, clearly I come with a focus on what's what difference are we making. So what does that mean? That means being clear that on the outcomes and never deviating from them. Um, that's all linked to the priorities and really keeping a focus on making sure we are delivering. Um, I think so. I think I'm pretty clear on priorities. I'm clear, pretty clear on keeping the lens on the impacts and the external and making a difference rather than getting too kind of wedded on the bureaucracies of the internal and losing ourselves in the point, really. Um, I think, um, you know, the, the values we have as an organisation about uh, building on strengths that we've got here, trying to do prevention, trying to get upstream on issues um, is really helping Manchester. And we, we saw that in COVID. 
So an example of what I mean by that was when we were when the whole country was being affected by COVID, we had three strands of work, impact on the council and changing the way we worked, uh, impact on the communities and what we needed to do to get through COVID. The third strand, economic impact, handed over to the business forum. And we said to be you said, we said to all of you, this is going to have an economic devastating effect. You start working with, I'm off to deal with getting vaccines out and protecting vulnerable and open up Nightingale hospitals. I need businesses to start working through for me. What are we doing to come back from this? And so when I talk about my style, not just my style, but my team style about being looking downstream, being prevention, that's an example of us doing that. I think the other one for me is um, addressing equality. I mean, first woman, I take first woman chief executive, I take that responsibility seriously. I take that we have a diverse community in Manchester. We have to address equality challenges in this city and address inequality in this city. And that's writ large. I think the other one for me is um not is is the kind of way you work and you said what don't I stand for well to to be to be successful in Manchester you've got to work you've got to try something different you've got to work across different organizations you've got to trust other people to do things well so trust is a high value for me I trust people to come to Manchester with pride and passion in their hearts and to do the best job that they can and to find ways to make a difference um if I if you lose my trust, you've then that there's not much coming back from that. That goes for partners and boyfriends and husbands as well as work colleagues. So I'm consistent <laughs> in uh, in that. You, I think that honesty matters. I think honesty, having organisations that are honest. I always say to people that um, I I my only tip for any senior leaders is is be clear what you're there to try and achieve and don't get distracted from that and be true about yourself it's called authentic leadership but it all authentic leadership means is uh, check you know are you acting genuinely with the values that you hold doing the things that are important and that are making a difference and you know if you're not being that then then don't be in the, that role go and be something different because um work should be a great place Work should be a great place to go to, shouldn't it? Work should be, you know, what I can't remember who said it, but what's the famous quote that um, find something, you do something you love and you'll never do a day's work. You'll never feel like you're working or something, isn't it? And that's how it feels. You should be excited and passionate and proud to be making a difference in this city. And that's the kind of team I want around me. And the final bit, as I said right at the start, really, never stop developing others. You don't do it all on your own. You do it with a team, develop your team, continually develop the team, develop the talents within your organisation to keep that continuity, to keep that organisational DNA and that organisational focus. And um, finally, it's not it's not all me. I love this job. It's been the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and I completely love Manchester. Um, but it's not all about me. It's absolutely hundreds and hundreds of other people who do great stuff for this city and all I really do is help orchestrate and bring those people together to make a difference. <laughs> well Joanne you've been a fantastic conductor so far and long may it continue <laughs> to that Manchester Orchestra uh, and it's been brilliant being able to spend some time uh, and get into a little bit of detail uh, of what makes Joanne Roney tick because we're not <laughs> able to, to do that very often. So thanks very much for coming into the downtown den today. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. It's great. No, 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 uh, no alcohol though. Needs a bar setting up in here, Frank. <laughs> we should do this after hours. <laughs> next time. Next time. <laughs> thanks, Joanne. So that was Joanne Roney, uh, the latest guest in our leader series, Chief Executive of Manchester City Council. Absolutely fascinating uh, discussion that we've just had there. And I'm sure you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I have interviewing Joanne. So thanks, Joanne. And I'll see you again very soon, I'm sure. Thank you.